Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. High in the air, Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 141 of the Bags and Brisby podcast presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Andy, 141 losses over under for the Diamondbacks. What do you got? Oh, 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 oh. only if they play uh, all of their games on the road. Like, let's say something happens in Phoenix and uh, their ballpark is rendered unplayable by like a meteor or something. They have to play entirely on the road for the rest of the year. How is this happening? I mean, you know, we're recording this on Friday. Yesterday, the Diamondbacks got swept by the Giants. They lost four in a row. They've lost 23 consecutive road games, a major league record. They haven't won since late April when Madison Bumgarner threw his seven-inning no-hitter at Atlanta, which is crazy to think about. So what are they doing? Where are they staying? What are they eating? Are they not tipping the housekeeping staff? I mean, is karma coming to get them? Whatever they're doing, they got to change it and change it all. Just saving a few bucks by sleeping in the graveyard, you know, knocking over some gravestones. It is wild. We consume our baseball information in different ways. But one way I do is I go to the baseball reference page and they have like uh, just like this graphic representation of green bar is a win, red bar is a loss, and they have it for the whole season. And it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's easy for me to look at it. And I just stare at it because it's all red. It's all losses. They have one win over the last, gosh, I don't know how many games. And it's just, it's all L's. I don't look at that team as being like the worst baseball team imaginable. I just, maybe I'm naive, but it's not like the 2003 Tigers or something. Like, I don't get it. Yeah, you know, I was talking with Mikey Ostremski yesterday, and he said that, you know, when he got on base in the eighth and they got uh, Kurt Casale a shot at the cycle, one of the Diamondbacks, he didn't say who, uh, said to him, hey, what does he need? What does Casale need? And he says, oh, he needs a double. Oh, and by the way, Stephen Duggar needs a homer. <laughs> it's like, that, that's a good indication that things are not going well for you when you ask your opponent what his buddy needs for the cycle, and he comes back with, well, yeah, there's two of them actually going for a cycle against you today. We will eventually get around to the Giants uh, because that is the subject of this podcast. But I'm going to read to you the lineup yesterday from the Diamondbacks. Josh Rojas leading off at second base. Paven Smith in center field. Eduardo Escobar at third. Christian Walker at first. Carson Kelly catching. David Peralta in left. Josh Reddick in right. Nick Ahmed. Uh, shortstop Zach Gallen, the pitcher. I'm not saying that team should win 100 games. But those are like major league names. Those are not, there's not a guy in that lineup with the exception of Josh Reddick, who's probably, you know, 45 by now. There's not a guy in that lineup where it's like, what is he doing in the major leagues? Like, it, I don't get it. 
And Kendall Marte is a really good player. Yes. And he obviously wasn't in the lineup, but he's back. You know, he, he was missing for for the first like you know month of the season basically, and and he's he's good. I mean, he's legitimately probably one of the top ten players in the National League overall. So we know that they've had some some problems on the pitching side. It just it just seemed like they just were not their head wasn't in the game. Every relief pitcher who came in uh, would issue a walk or would fall behind or would make a mistake. You know, and Tori Lavola would go out there and he'd be almost like pleading with these guys, like, please, please just focus, focus for one second and get us out of this. There were so many innings that just went sideways for them. And uh, you know what? If you're if you're playing them, you can't give them an inch. You really can't. Those are games that you should win when your opponent's going bad. So, the NL West may come down to, to who thumps the Rockies and Diamondbacks the, the most uh, between the Padres, Dodgers, and and Giants. And 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 right now the Giants are kind of saying, hey, you know, we can do we can do some thumping just like you other guys can. Would you say that Arizona are they self bit? <laughs> I, I was listening to I forget was it John Miller or Mike Kruko? One of them said, yeah, they're just snake bit right now. And and, and then John. Had, had like a, a long pause where you can tell that he's rolling that around in his head a little bit. And then he says, well, can a snake be snake bit? <laughs> I suppose if a snake is around other snakes more often than like you or I would be around snakes. So yeah, it's probably more likely a snake would be snake bit. Actually, right? it's, it's I mean, that famous image of the snake swallowing its own tail. That's uh, by definition snake bit. And that's sort of what the Diamondbacks look like. Ah, yes, that's the or- Ouroboros, or I-, I can't pronounce it and I can't spell it, but I know it sounds something like that. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to the Giants. And when you start talking about how bad the Diamondbacks are, you-, you start to ignore how good the Giants have been, and you still have to play good baseball in order to beat a team four games in a row. The Giants are playing really, really, really good baseball. And when people are saying, oh, yeah, anyone can beat up on the bad teams, like, you know, anyone can go and sweep the Diamondbacks, A, I'm not sure that that's true. B, if you look at like 2010, 2012, 2014, those are the years the Giants cleaned up on the bad teams. It's what you do in the good seasons. It's what you do. It's what you do. And, you know, people keep saying, well, the Giants have played a soft schedule. They're 17 and 10 against teams with winning records. I mean, they have not looked outclassed except for one series against the Dodgers. And obviously they rectified that by playing them tough in LA the next time and, and taking three out of four. So, yeah, there really there's been no opponent they've gone up against where you think, okay, this is you know they clearly are are the inferior team here. I mean, at some point you just have to start you know game has to recognize some game and and say this team is is you know we're getting to the halfway point of the season almost and and the Giants are are really not showing a whole lot of weaknesses. You know, now we're more than halfway through June. The Giants are off to their fourth best start since moving to San Francisco. They would really have to screw this up. I don't think that there is another way to put it. Like, they're probably this good, close to this good, uh, this good adjacent. And in order to fall completely out of the postseason picture is possible. But at this point, you got to start looking toward the the trade deadline and saying, okay, we we have to really make this team as good as possible because it might be as good as any of the teams in the postseason, as remarkable as that could be. Yeah, I mean, right now, if they play 500 ball the rest of the way, they're, what, a 90-win team? If they just play 500 ball, I mean, because of what, they're 19 games over right now. So, yeah, pretty much. And you think, can this team, as it's currently constituted, play 500 ball the rest of the way? I mean, we, we know what a second half collapse looks like. We saw it in 2016, where they had the best record in the major leagues at the All-Star break. And then everything just went totally sideways. And uh, But those were some cracks in the armor that were starting to show that obviously got a lot bigger in the seasons to follow. 
what's crazy is that some of the players who weren't performing in that second half are some of the guys who are performing now, whether it's Posey or Crawford, Brandon Belt. Uh, he, he came back and he's, uh, you know, driving the ball again. Uh, Mikey Stremski. That's the crazy one for me. Talking about, I know, I know we've both talked a lot about how not everything has gone right for this team. And there are some areas that they can still, you know, get a boost from that they haven't seen yet. There's nothing bigger to me than Mikey Stremski. I mean, the guy who led the major leagues in win probability added, who did more than anyone else in the most leveraged moments to turn losses into wins for his team last year. Before he hit his grand slam to win uh, the, the big comeback game against the Diamondbacks, his RISP batting average was like 083. He hadn't done even a shadow of what he had done the previous year and a half. And and I think we, we've seen enough of Mike Yastrzemski to know that he's not a flash in the pan. So between Yastrzemski and Belt coming back and whenever they can fold Devin Longoria back in, it's not like they're they're just completely playing over their heads and relying on one or two guys who were just playing out of their minds. I mean, it's been a team effort, and I think it will continue, will continue to be so. Since you brought the Grand Slam up, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about that comeback. Watching it from home, and I know that we've talked about the experience of, of watching uh, the game as opposed to being there and, and how uh, the announcers can color the game. While I'm watching this, and it's 7 to nothing Giants, and they put a couple runs on the board in the bottom of the second, you can hear it in the tone of of the broadcast crew like oh you know maybe like it's a different vibe this year that i think when you're used to watching the 2019 2018 gosh the 2017 giants seven to nothing was forget about it you might not score seven runs in the next three games you can hear it in the tone and if you can hear it in the tone of the broadcast i'm sure you're hearing it in the dugout at, at no point did it feel like the giants could not come back and what's crazy is, as you did the, the research on it in your piece about just how rare that comeback was, that's like a once-in-a-decade game, basically. I mean, literally once a decade. And yet, you did have that feeling that they could come back. I, I, I'll tell you, I was at the game, and um, before the first pitch, I saw uh, Ed Montague, longtime uh, umpire, Bay Area native. His dad was uh, played in the PCL, played briefly in the major leagues. Great guy, great storyteller. And so we were joking about the spider tack and all the sticky stuff and everything. And uh, he was a major league umpire supervisor just until recently and still comes out to the games and sits in the press box. So I was asking him about it and he started regaling me with stories about, you know, Rick Roden scuffing the ball and, and, and umpires using gamesmanship to have you check everything and, and confiscating, you know, Chris Sabo's bouncy balls that bounced out of his broken bat. And Montague was the guy who ejected him. And, and I thought, you know what, this is kind of topical right now. Everyone's talking about this. So I'm just going to write this today. You know, uh, this, this, is, this is a fun story. And, you know, then they're down 7 nothing early. And I think, okay, this is a, just an absolute nothing burger of a game. So I don't need to write anything about this game. But a little part of me, a little part of me sort of thought, unless they come back, which they could. And then when Steven Duggar hit the homer to make it, what, 7-2? to two, I thought, okay, yeah, now, now it, for some reason it's, it feels like a coin flip. It's nowhere near a coin flip, but it kind of feels like it is at this point. And sure enough, they come back and, and Kurt Casale comes off the bench, the backup catcher hitting 100 and gets the pinch walk that brings Yastrzemski to the plate. And uh, he turns around a, a 3 nothing deficit into a one-run win with a grand slam in the eighth. And, and that ballpark had 9,000 people in it, and they were just going bonkers. I mean, people were hugging each other, <laughs> high-fiving each other. And it's like, that was, to me, was the coolest part of being there, was to see the crowd react to it and just go bananas. you know. And it was like, yes, this is kind of like what life used to be like, where complete strangers would hug each other and high-five each other, you know, and... and uh, 
So that was just really, really refreshing. So Mike Shemsky gave, gave the Giants a big comeback win, but I think he gave everybody in that ballpark a moment they won't forget. In one of my very first pieces of baseball writing, I, I wrote it for Greg Perlman's site back in 2000, I described J.T. Snow's home run as forcing me to hug someone who smelled like a warm circus. And I always felt bad about that because I really didn't remember a bad smell. It was just, uh, it was for color. And now I felt bad that, that that person, I don't know, maybe remembered me and said, do I really smell like a warm circus? Probably not. But yeah, that's what the good stuff does. It makes you hug strangers. I mean, you know, there are probably worse smells than a warm circus. It depends on where, where you are at the circus. I don't think I'd want to be near the elephant, uh, <laughs> elephant tent. But, um, you know, you might be by the, you know, the, the kettle corn machine or something like that. There might be some good, <laughs> That's a good, good point. circus smells. Yeah, I guess you had a little cotton candy. It's not going to be so bad in your nose. Mm. Um, JT Snow, hug me. Hug me, cotton candy man. <laughs> we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. So you brought up Stephen Duggar's home run. And this brings up something that I've been playing around, kicking around in my head. And now I get to talk to you and ask you about it because you have Lamont Wade Jr. looking 100% like a major leaguer. You have Steven Duggar, who was great, slumped something fierce, and now is great again. You have Darren Ruff coming back. You have Alex Dickerson coming back. You have Mike Talkman out of options. What in the heck? Are we, I mean, what what's going to happen here? It's a great question. And it's, I mean, as they always say, oh, it's such a great problem to have. And it's like, <laughs> yes, yes, it is. But you're not answering the question. What are you going to do? I don't know. I, it, there's going to be, I, I, I look at Mauricio Dubon and I think, you know, I mean, I know you need a backup shortstop, but he's sitting there with a 260 on base percentage. I don't know. I, I, I really don't know what they're going to do. They, they've, uh, they have some people with options, we know. But like you said, some of those people have shown that they deserve to be on this team. I think Steven Duggar has to be on this roster just because, you know, look at what he's done for your outfield defense, to say nothing of, of the power. That really has been a huge asset, and I'm not sure how to quantify just how valuable that outfield defense has been, but it's it, it's been a, it's been one of the big reasons that, uh, you know, they've continued to improve as a team this year. So I don't know. I really don't know what they're going to do. Okay, good, because that's where I was at. I was even thinking about writing about it. It's like, I don't want to do that because you're putting things out there where, I don't know, it's not fair. It's not fair to Wade, who is putting together, like, just a lot of really, really good at-bats. He looks like a major league hitter, like he has a plan, like he sticks to the plan. He's doing damage on the pitches he should be doing damage on. He's he's uh, very disciplined. He's not chasing. And then you've got Duggar doing what he's doing. So it feels like one of them has to go down just because of the numbers game. I don't know. I just cannot figure it out. If Mike Talkman had options, that would be the obvious choice, but his war is three. There was the grand slam and the two home run robbing catches. That's not how you're really supposed to calculate war, but I'm, I'm calculating it. He's got three wins above replacement. So I, I don't know. There's no right answer. Yeah. And right now they're at 13 and 13. So, and I don't think subtracting a pitcher is the answer, especially when you're still kind of using Sammy Long as part of a staff game every five days. So, yeah, I mean, Jason Vossler, I think, is probably an obvious guy who could go up and down most of the season. But after that, you're right, it's uh, it's going to be tricky. And um, But Alex Dickerson, they think he's going to be active, I think, uh, Saturday or Sunday. So maybe they'll trade out uh, Vossler for Dickerson then. But but as you say, they, they've got Darren Ruff coming back too. And, and, you know, they don't minimize his contributions and what he's able to uh, – 
to bring to this team and what he's done off the bench. And, you know, the hamstring is still coming along a little little slowly. He was watching him run, and he's doing a little bit better, but um, he was a little discouraged at the progress. So so maybe maybe they just give him a little more time to figure it out and, and maybe send him on a minor league rehab assignment. And it feels like the real answer when you're asking this sort of question and you're, you're doing all these permutations in your head is that one of these players is going to get eaten by a piranha plant in the next week. You know, it's always like, oh, this this numbers game. And then there's always someone who gets hurt, uh, especially in 2021. I'm not throwing that, speaking that into existence, but at the same time, it always feels like these conundrums have a way of working themselves out. Why is Wilmer Flores' foot sticking out of the industrial bread baking machine? <laughs> right? What happened here? Oh, 2021, man. I mean, it's just sort of been like that. Donovan Solano, don't cross against the traffic. Walk, <laughs> walk to the end of the block. Use the crosswalk. Now, I know the answer to this one, and the answer is going to be no. But at the same time, there is an outfielder who has a 304 on base percentage, a 217 batting average. He's striking out almost a third of the time, and he has an option. Austin Slater doesn't go anywhere, right? Oh, boy. I mean, you know, you have to feel a little bit for Austin Slater because he's a guy who just looked like a breakout candidate to start the year. He played really well last year, and... His opportunities against lefties have just dried up. The Giants faced so many lefties early in the season, and they just haven't faced a lot of lefties lately. And, and you know, like we've talked about, you've got Mike Talkman, you've got Lamont Wade Jr., you've got Mike Yastrzemski, you've got Alex Dickerson. They've got a lot of lefties that they can throw in there against Stephen Duggar. But, yeah, you'd think, okay, you know, in a way, Austin Slater's got less competition because all these guys are lefty hitters, and he's the only right-handed hitting outfielder right now. But, uh, you know, the opportunities just have not been there for him. And, you know, you've got to say as well, well, if Austin Slater isn't getting many opportunities, where are Darren Ruff's opportunities going to come from? I haven't really looked at the schedule or plotted out to see, you know, how many lefties they're forecasted to face, you know, past this Phillies series this weekend. I'm sure that'll have a big part to play in just how they um, sort of calculate their roster and, and, and make some of these moves. Yeah, it is, like you said, a good problem to have. It's a confusing team insofar as, like, you want to have... So we have the stupid extra inning ghost runner on second base. That's held over in the year 2021. But the 28-man roster, which I was a fan of, is gone. I want the 28-man roster back, especially when it's paired with the three-batter minimum, because that's going to prevent a lot of the, you know, bring in this guy for one batter, this guy for one batter. I mean, Bochi would have would have had a, a ball with that. I really like the 28-man roster. I think it, it makes sense for baseball. So I think that they should have a 28-man roster, and I think they should have, oh my goodness, string me up, a universal DH. But I think I I love the idea of a universal DH that is tied to the starting pitcher. Because I agree with you, with the three-batter minimum, you're not going to have every game turn into a La Russa Fest, a matchup, 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 mid-inning pitching changes. But I do think that teams will probably have more openers, have more, you know, staff games, have less reliance on a starting pitcher who's going to start a game and give you five or six innings minimum uh, if you have, you know, 15 pitchers on the roster or whatever it might be. So I, I kind of feel like if, if you incentivize keeping your starting pitcher in the game and you do that by tying the DH to that starting pitcher, so Kevin Gosman starts, you know, uh, Darren Ruff is your DH. But as soon as Kevin Gosman is out of that game, Darren Ruff stops being a DH and uh, that becomes the pitcher spot. 
and now the pitcher has to hit from that point forward. That's or interesting. You have to pinch, or you have to pinch it. You lose the DH essentially when you lose the starting pitcher. And Tim Britton, our Mets writer, was the first one who told me about that idea. And uh, I thought, you know what? That's kind of goofy and convoluted, but it makes a lot of sense because it incentivizes the things that baseball wants to incentivize. You know, more offense, more excitement, but also, you know, try to get the starting, start, try to incentivize starting pitchers being in the game longer. All right, hear me out. Starting pitcher comes out of the game. He begins the next inning at second base. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man, I hate that rule. I hate that rule. Uh, have we talked about it? feels like I've talked about that on several podcasts. We've We've complained about that, right? I was about to say that I listened to your podcast with Ben Lindbergh. I thought it was great. I enjoyed it. And I loved uh, your your screed about uh, the extra inning rule. And I never had thought about it that way in that basically a pitcher will come in and do his job and get, you know, three outs and, and lose the game. And it just it sends a bad message. The Reader's Digest version is that baseball has been either you do something good to win a game or the other team does something so poorly that they lose the game. That has been baseball for 100 plus years with the extra inning rule and a runner on second base. Neither team like the the hitting the offensive team can do nothing good. The pitching team, the defensive team can do nothing bad and the pitching team can still lose because of just how the the ball bounces, so to speak. And I hate that. I freaking hate that. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of that either. And I think there has to be a better way. Why, why don't you just have the extra runner start at first? That way, if, if Tyler Rogers comes in and he gets a ground ball, then he, he, it's a double play. But it, it's still obviously a team's chances of scoring go up with a runner at first base versus the base is empty. But you still don't penalize a pitcher who's not necessarily a strikeout pitcher. So, you know, balls in play are a good thing. Isn't that, isn't that what we're trying to do? That's what we're trying to do here. Avoid those three true outcomes. Uh, you know, you mentioned the opener in the roster and, and we talked about the comeback, but what we didn't talk about is why it was a comeback. And that's because the giants opener on, what was that? That was Tuesday. Uh, Zach Littell, uh, he got zero outs, uh, four earned runs. He walked a couple. He was just off. Uh, why are the Giants using an opener and a bullpen game when the plan is to have Sammy Long act like a starting pitcher? Why don't they just make the whole Sammy Long out of starting pitcher? Right. No, it's a good question. And uh, I think it was Alex Pavlovich who asked that question of Gabe Kapler. And Kapler's answer was basically, look, you know, you've got a guy who's just starting out in the big leagues. We really like him. We, we, we think he's capable of getting, you know, the best hitters in an opposing lineup out. But we also want him to settle in. We want him to be able to, you know, have a nice start to this game. So if we can match up with the top three hitters or four hitters or whatever it might be in an opponent's lineup, then, you know, when, when Sammy Long faces that part of the lineup, which generally is the team's best, he's already been in the game a little bit and he's got a feel for his pitches. And then maybe, you know, he gets deep enough in that game to face that part of the lineup a second time, but not necessarily a third. And, you know, so I think a lot of it is just trying to think about putting players in the best position where they can have the best chance at success. And that's really what, you know, management and game management is all about, right? It's just putting your players in the best position to to have a good outcome, both for them and for the team. So that's sort of the where it's coming from. And it may get to a point where it's like, you know what, Sammy Long's ready to go. He's showing that he's ready to throw strike one from the outset. So, you know, let's let's treat him a little more traditionally. And I, I think if he has success, they'll, they'll get to that point. But yeah, you saw it not work out for them against the Diamondbacks. And, you know, here you said it was Tuesday, and I'm thinking to myself, that was a weekend series this whole time. And I'm, <laughs> that's where my mind is. But it doesn't necessarily mean it won't work out the next time. So I think we're going to see it a little more often. 
I cannot talk how impressed I was by Sammy Long coming in because he, I'm sure in his mind he's going, okay, second inning, second inning, second inning, second inning. And then you are seven batters into the game and it's a jackpot and you're coming in right there. And his performance was to strike out Josh Reddick and to get a, a ground ball double play. That, you know, basically is the reason why the, the Giants were able to come back is, is he limited the damage. I know he gave up, what did he give up? Four or five runs, four runs in that game. So it's not as if he was perfect, but I just cannot be more impressed with how well he pitched uh, in that game, with how well he's pitched since coming up to the Giants, and the fact that, you know, he was in out of baseball recently and just an A ball more recently than that. Yeah, I mean, you know, just a really good story, a really good scouting story for the Giants. Um, you know, that's that's why you have a, a lot of scouts on your payroll, because they're, they're looking to identify, you know, bounce back candidates or people who you know, may be available that uh, you haven't really heard a lot about. I mean, this is a guy who has not pitched above a ball until this season. He not only got a minor league contract, but he got an invitation to big league spring training. You think, well, gosh, I, I, I guess the Giants, he had some leverage. There were some other teams that really wanted him and were, were, were dangling that as a carrot, and the Giants had to match it. No. I mean, when I asked him, I said, you know, how did that come about? The Giants offered him that before he even asked because that's how, how, how much they, they viewed him as someone who could be a major league contributor as fast as he is now a major league contributor. So they did not necessarily get lucky with, with Sammy Long. This is a guy that they thought could be doing what he's doing right now. And that's, that's pretty remarkable. I am in the middle of writing uh, something about the Giants' search for bullpen arms, and the conceit of the article is, where is the bullpen Yastrzemski? Where is the bullpen Solano? Where is the bullpen uh, Gosman? And it, I'm going to just list some names, and it, let's let's take a trip in the Wayback Machine. Uh, Anderson uh, Franco, Andrew Triggs, Kyle Baraclaw, Fernando Abad, uh, Yandel Gustave. I mean, like... They have really cycled through arms in the last three seasons, and they haven't found like that one guy where it's like, aha, Rogers was a guy, but he was from the previous administration. So they really haven't found their own guy to put a stamp on and Long might be that guy. Can I make an editorial suggestion? Sure. Can you please add Trey McNutt to that uh, bullpen list? Just because every article is better with Trey McNutt in it. Trey McNutt. Oh, boy. He never made an appearance. So where where do I even know that name from? Are you just making that up? No, he was in uh, he was in spring training in 2020. Right. I think that basically he got released or designated or reassigned or whatever, like, you know, the day that the day that spring training ended. So that's why we never heard anything more from Mr. McNutt. But I did get to enjoy the sight of, of him throwing to Buster Posey. And it oh, was no. The, oh, no, no, it no, 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 no. The battery was. Um, no. Uh, my, 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 is my microphone not working? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, yeah. That is that is funny. I think I remember you bringing that up at the time. And... Oh, I tweeted it. I, I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I still have a job somehow. I'm not sure. Oh man. Uh, you know, I'm just gonna throw this name out there. Uh, Birch Smith. What are your memories of the Birch Smith era uh, for the Giants? Well, no, he's a funny one because Birch Smith, uh, you know, was kind of unremarkable as a Giant. But when he got designated, I remember it might have been Jeremy Shelley. It might have been Farhan. Somebody said, our analytics people love Birch Smith, and we hated to let him go. And I, I, I was kind of like, okay, sure, yeah, you love every player that you get. You know, you guys are all brilliant geniuses. 
Well, he goes to the A's, and he's he's been amazing. He's been a really good relief pitcher. So they were right. They just didn't have uh, – they ran out of, uh, I guess, opportunity to have him take up a space on the roster. And that, that's – I guess that's the sign of when you start turning things around. You go from, hey, let's grab everybody we can to backfill this 40-man roster that's not very good to having to make painful decisions with players who haven't really shown you yet that, you know, they deserve to stay, but that you, you really, really have a deep hunch that uh, – that they're they're going to be good and that this is going to cost you down the line. And yeah, sure enough, Birch Smith has been really good. Yeah, I think he, he hit a little bit of a rough spot, but overall, like under the hoodie, he's not walking guys. He's missing bats. He's keeping the ball in the ballpark. Birch Smith was the answer the whole time. Birch Smith. Yep. Yep. They made the whole bat out of Birch Smith. Birch Smith. All right. This has been one, episode 141 of the Bags and Brisbee podcast. Uh, we will be back on Monday to talk about what the Giants did against the Phillies. And we'll see you then. Thanks so much for listening.